Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is Missing Alyssa, a podcast documentary series about the unsolved disappearance of Alyssa Turney, a teenage girl from Phoenix, Arizona. Alyssa has been missing since 2001. I'm Ottavia Zappala, and this is a bonus episode of Missing Alyssa. If you haven't listened to the original series, this won't make any sense to you. I want to make a really cool announcement. We have had a total of 100,000 downloads since launching this podcast six months ago. Raz and I feel really grateful and proud that you have all been enjoying this series so much. I'm especially thankful for the great reviews many of you have taken the time to leave. Thank you so much. In this episode, I bring to you Jessica Case, one of Alyssa's closest friends towards the end. She has not spoken to me before. But before I do that, I just want to say something that has been on my mind and that I've been discussing with Sarah lately. As you know, Michael Turney is a free man. He's living in the Phoenix area at the moment, which is also where Sarah and I live. At a time where gun control is a really hot topic where Americans are debating who should own guns and what should be done to address the alarming escalation of mass shootings of the last few years, the topic of Michael Turney obviously comes up. This issue divides Americans because while some believe we need to reform policy and have tighter gun control rules, other people bring forward the argument that people kill people and that guns, on the contrary, keep us safe. However, whether you lean toward gun rights or gun restrictions, I think most people would agree that there are some individuals that should not be allowed to own weapons. For instance, those that are considered to be at a higher risk for committing violent acts, say because of a mental illness or because of a violent past. In order to make sense of the violence, many people argue that most of the time when someone commits mass murder, the signs were there, that someone should have done something about it. Shame on the people who knew and did nothing, on the kids that saw the signs and didn't tell a teacher, etc. Since the terrorist attacks of 9-11, the Department of Homeland Security's motto has been, if you see something, say something. But my opinion is, even if people were to do something, it's not at all certain it would make any difference to the outcome. After all, according to the law, you cannot punish someone based on suspicion that they might commit a crime. For better or for worse, that's just how it is. But back to Michael Turney, the reason I'm bringing this up is, if you remember, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison because the search of his home revealed he illegally owned 19 high-caliber assault weapons, not to mention 26 pipe bombs. Although he wasn't convicted for this charge, because again, it's hard to prove someone was going to do something, a substantial amount of evidence led to believe Michael Turney was about to commit a terrorist attack. 
and that that terrorist attack was foiled by the intervention of police into his home. As a convicted felon, he will never be able to legally possess a firearm again. Since the Gun Control Act of 1968, federal law prohibits anyone convicted of a felony from possessing firearms or ammunition. Sadly, though, thanks to a loophole in the law, pretty much anyone can purchase a firearm at a gun show. This is known as the gun show loophole, and there is no logical explanation for it. For those that don't know, gun shows are temporary markets for guns and ammunition. Both licensed dealers and private sellers can sell at gun shows. Here's the difference between the two. Individuals engaged in the business of selling guns must have a license called a federal firearms license. They must also conduct instant criminal background checks on all their customers. Unlicensed sellers, on the other hand, may sell guns, but they're not supposed to earn a living from their sales. These sellers are not required to run background checks or even keep a record of the sale. Yet they can sell guns at gun shows or even over the internet. Thanks to this loophole, people who cannot legally possess firearms can avoid a background check simply by looking for unlicensed sellers at gun shows. This means individuals such as Mike Turney can technically purchase a firearm. Okay, back to Jessica. She went to Paradise Valley High School with Alyssa, and they became friends in 2001, during Alyssa's junior year, which was her last year of school before she disappeared. I met her at Starbucks, thus the background noise in the interview. We were in a ceramics class together, and we always had the same clothes, so that's how we bonded. Like, she would wear a Care Bear shirt, and I would be wearing a Care Bear On shirt. On purpose? No. Oh. It just worked out that way, uh-huh. and it was like after several days of us wearing the same shit, we were like, you want to be friends? Yeah. And then we were best friends from there, mm-hmm. and then I don't know how long after that she started dating John. Was Mike Turney happy about your friendship with her? Or do you know that if he tried to keep you away from her? Oh, yeah. Keep it was it. just like he, I would go out to the truck with her to talk to him about us doing something. And he would just say, no. He yeah. just always, no, we have to do this. And then we would talk on the phone later and she'd be like, yeah, we didn't have anything to do. He just didn't, he just didn't want me to hang out with my friends. Okay. And then she got the job at Jack in the Box. So it was like she had that to do, and it made it harder for us to hang out. Yeah. So towards the end, did you hang out with her less? Oh, yeah. So it was like our friendship only lasted like five months. I feel like she was my best friend. Jessica was one of the last people to see Alyssa, and she tells me something I didn't know. Apparently, Alyssa was expected at a party that very same night. So now I wonder whether that party was the cause of the argument Alyssa had with her stepdad. The last day of school, I saw her as she was walking off to her dad, and she was like, okay, I'll call you later, because she was supposed to go to graduation, and my friend always had a party every year after, so her and her boyfriend were going to come hang out with us. And I remember it so vividly, like what she was wearing and like hugging her goodbye, and her walking off and then me going my merry way and it's just very fucking strange to think about as an adult now. So you're talking about the last day of school and you were supposed to get together that night? Yes. So I was at home talking to my friend and their house called and I was like, well, whatever, I'll call her right back once I figure out what we're doing. And then I get off the phone with my friend and then I call her back and it was like probably an hour later maybe. And 
her dad answers and he's like, where the fuck is she? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, I know she's with you. Tell me where the fuck she is. And I was like, even if I didn't know where she was, I wouldn't tell you. So it was him who called before to I know where? Probably. Do you know what time he called you? Was it like, it was probably evening, right? Like it must have been dark. Well, it was probably like five, maybe. So now I feel like I imagine the whole thing because it's been so long, but that's how I remember it. Well, what were you guys supposed to do that night? Get drunk. Oh, just dumb shit. What, like, go, was it a party? Or, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like at someone's house? Or, yeah. So Alyssa was supposed to be there. You were going to go there together? Well, I think her boyfriend was, her and her boyfriend were just, John, were going to come over. Was it common for Alyssa to be able to go to a house party like that? No. Was she able to attend that kind of stuff once in a while? or? No. Okay. That would have been like a rare occasion. Yeah, it was like, she said she was going to go, and I was like, really? Yeah. And then it didn't happen, and I was like, well, that's not surprising. And the way that Mike behaved was just weird. And he said that he was doing all of this stuff to try and find her, that he had search parties and stuff. And I was like, well, let me know. And he never contacted me. And I would call him, and he's like, yeah, we're investigating it. I went to California. She called me, and I just felt like that was a lie and that he wasn't doing anything to actively find her. Other people had mentioned Mike acting oddly after Alyssa's disappearance. Although the audio is really bad, I wanted to play a small segment of a call I had with Lori Farner. Lori is married to Barbara's brother, Kevin, and although she had no relationship with Michael whatsoever, she got a phone call from him when Alyssa disappeared. In all the years that we met, Mike had never called us, never had anything to do with reaching out to us until after Alyssa disappeared. And when he called me, he just was really defensive about what happened to Alyssa and had all these things already he had this story so down pat that it was, I mean, I was on the phone just looking at it going, what the fuck did you do to her? I thought that first thing, I, uh, what did he do to her? Yeah, when he was talking to me, I didn't say it to him because Mike scares me. He always has, just the way he, he looks and is. But my, my gut instinct is what the fuck did you do to your daughter? And you thought that because of prior incidents that you were aware about, or did you think that because the way he talked about it seems like it was... Um, it was more the, because he called me and talked to me about it on the phone. Like he was like he was getting defensive to everybody without anything. Well, okay, my, when my son ran away one time, I didn't call people. And, you know, I mean, I was crying. I was like, oh, what happened to my son? I mean, he came back the next day, you know, but, you know, I mean... I know how people react to that, and he didn't have the right reaction. He had a guilty reaction. Lori only got to know Mike when Barbara was dying and the family gathered around her. I asked her if she noticed any signs of abuse or inappropriate behavior towards Alyssa. There was times, like, some videotapes that I would see, and Mike would show, you know, like, oh, this, you know, look at when it snowed, and he was always showing the videotape, always showing something. And I was always showing pictures of Alyssa with her pants, with her dress up, with her panties. And he was always saying, Alyssa, put your dress down. Alyssa, put your dress down. It's like, dude, you're videotaping it, you know? <laughs> I don't know. How strange. Yeah. And, you know, um, that's probably about the only thing. I mean, a couple times I'd look at Barb, you know, when, when he, he, 
see or hear something, you just kind of think, am I really hearing that or am I just imagining things? She was in bed dying, though. You've got to remember. Oh, yeah. She was in bed dying. You know, she was not real coherent. Right, right. So just just like, just inappropriate things. Yeah, it's inappropriate, but we just ignore it. I asked Jessica if Alyssa told her of any abuse. She did tell me that he drove her out into the desert once and tried to touch her. Really? And she got out of the car and he left her there. He did? And then what happened? She How walked did she home. Get? She walked home? So it couldn't have been very far. Yeah. So the, the truck incident that she told you about, was that the only time she told you anything like that? I don't think so. I feel like there were at least a handful of situations where he did creepy things like that. And that's why we would talk about running away. Jessica Case was one of the only people that told police that Alyssa had actually mentioned the possibility of running away. But she also said that it seemed more like a fantasy rather than something Alyssa seriously considered doing. I'm guessing you think that if she had run away, she would have told you. Right? 100%. Was it something that you guys talked about a lot? I wouldn't say a lot, but it was definitely like she couldn't wait to get away from him and I desperately wanted to be away from my family. And so it was more me that wanted to run away. Okay. And she would complain about how awful it was that she couldn't do anything because he was always right there. (laughs) He recorded everything. And he always had to know where she was, and he would show up at Jack in the Box when she was working, and just to make sure that she was there, and he was just creepy. A lot of the shit that he claims about her, I feel like he exaggerates, that she really was just a normal teenager. And now looking back, she was so happy, and she cared so much about everyone around her, and I just don't understand how she could be so okay with the way that he treated her. Mm-hmm. Like that she was always optimistic about the future and that she knew that at some point she would get away from him. Tries to portray her as being like the super rebellious teenager that he couldn't control, but he had a tight leash on her. What do you remember her saying or feeling about him? <clears throat> he was an asshole. She hated him. I don't know that she really hated him. I think teenage girl hate, I think, is much different than real hate. Yeah. But she hated how he tried to control everything that she did. Did it seem like she, you know, she also loved him in a way? Probably. She loved Sarah. <laughs> the way that they would fight and the shit that she would say, she's like, oh, she's so fucking stupid. <laughs> but I love her. She's my sister. And it's just strange to think about that now as an adult, that we were teenage girls. And this has haunted me for a very, very long time because this was super devastating to me. Like, I held on to this hope for so long that she would contact me. Mm-hmm. So I was happy for her to be away from Mike, but I was super sad that she didn't say anything to me because we had talked about running away because I would left at any given time. And 
I was mad at her that she left. And then after she turned 18, she would have turned 18 and she didn't contact me. I became angry with her for abandoning me. Because she was that important in your life. She was very important in my life. Like one of your, the key people in your life at the time. I don't know that she knew that. Mm -hmm. I did keep everything inside. Yeah. But I know that I felt happy when I was with her. And it was the kind of happy that I didn't find with anyone else when we were in high school. It was a really hard thing for me to cope with. There aren't many people still that I've encountered that I bonded with like I did with her. I don't bond with people really well, and I think the way that this all played out made that harder for me as I got older. It's just sad. It's just really sad. And I've known in the bottom of my heart for so long that he killed her. And I wish that he would just give us all closure on it. Thanks for listening. In the next episode, I'm going to be talking to Alyssa's biological father, Stephen Stram. Steve reached out to me after the podcast, and he has some really interesting things to say. Stay tuned. Missing Alyssa is produced and hosted by me, Octavia Zapala. Audio editing and production help by Raz Yalov. Our original music was created by Michael Fornwalt. The artwork was done by Michelle Reyes. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.